Welcome to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church in Harvest, Alabama. We invite you into our sanctuary as we dive into God's Word with our pastor, Dr. Al Peringer. I decided, you know, I'm starting to do a, a different theme for each Wednesday of the month, and on the fourth uh, Wednesday of the month, we're, uh, we're going to look at difficult Bible passages, and what I mean by difficult Bible passages that... Um, they're Bible passages that may have caused you some confusion, caused me some confusion. Uh, they might be Bible passages that maybe had a little controversy to go with them, trying to interpret them, because, you know, uh, even Christians disagree about the, um, how, how some Bible passages ought to be uh, interpreted. And all Bible-believing Christians, but, you know, they, they just uh, disagree about what certain passages might mean and, and things like that. So, you know, we might uh, look at, at, at those, um, different ones of those. Yeah, no, I'm probably not going to go through the entire book of Revelation or anything, you know, like that. But there's plenty of other passages that, um, you know, sometimes are just hard to get and, and we just want to uh, try and tackle them and, um, you know, give you what I believe to be the meaning, but, you know, you, you study for yourself and, and see if you come to the same conclusion. Well, tonight I want to talk about the topic of the unpardonable sin or the unforgivable sin. Um, this, uh, this is a, a saying of Jesus that is found in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, uh, you know, they, they all record Jesus saying something to the effect of, you know, all these sins can be forgiven except this one particular sin. And, and this has caused people no small amount of worry and anxiety as people begin wondering, you know, they, they start thinking, they're being concerned, did I commit the unforgivable sin? Did, did, you know, yeah, I might believe in Jesus, but I, did I forget the, un, did I do the unforgivable sin? Um, you know, is this something that even Christ can't forgive or, or something like that? So let me just start tonight by putting your hearts and minds at ease because if you've trusted in Christ and you're burdened and you're wondering if you have committed the unforgivable sin sometime in the past, let me put your mind at ease. The fact that you have trusted in Jesus and you're concerned about that demonstrates that you never committed that sin. So you don't have to worry about that. The fact that you're burdened and concerned demonstrates you have not committed the unforgivable sin. Um, along with the fact that some scholars believe that the unforgivable and unpardonable sin was something that can't be committed right now. It, it was specific to Jesus's time, his life, and his ministry, but you know, we'll get into that here in, in just a, a minute. But what is important to try and figure this out, and, and any difficult passage is to, you know, look at the context in which uh, the statement is found. Uh, to understand what Jesus was saying and why he said what he said at that particular time. So Matthew and Mark, they locate this particular saying during a certain event in Jesus's ministry of him casting out demons. Uh, Luke has it in the middle of some teachings uh, of Jesus. And, you know, so it might be something that Jesus said 
more, on more than one occasion, which is probably more likely, most likely. Um, but I want to look at the Matthew version of the story. And so find the context, see what Jesus was saying, and uh, try and figure out what in the world this unforgivable sin might be and, and what concern we should have um, about it. And so I'm going to read verses 22 through 32 of uh, Matthew 12. And um, this is what uh, Matthew wrote. He said, Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, and he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Well, knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. And if Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. So, what's going on here? Given the, its context, there is this man who has a demon that made him blind and mute. Jesus, like he did throughout his ministry, he comes and he casts that demon out. And so this man is, is, is healed of his infirmities. He can see, he can speak. And the, the crowd, the general populace, they were amazed. They're like, wow. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean they believed. It's just that they were amazed. Like, wow, look at what, um, look at what he's doing. And, and so, you know, but it, it then brings about the question in their heart. I mean, could this be the son of David, and that's a term for Messiah. That was a term that they would use for the Messiah. Is it, I mean, could, this couldn't be the Messiah, could it? You know, they, they were still a little bit confused. They knew he was a miracle worker and a teacher. And what, is, what does this mean? What does this sign mean? And, and, and so the crowd is asking the important questions. The crowd is asking the right questions, at least. You know, who, who is this Jesus? What is, what is the identity of this person? I mean, is it the Messiah? Is it not? So while the crowd is pondering these important questions, the religious leaders of the day, they wouldn't even consider the implications of that line of thinking. I mean, right away, their hearts were hard, and they're like, no, there, there, there is no way that Jesus could be the Messiah. I mean, they probably felt that way for many reasons. One, because he wasn't the conqueror that they wanted. You know, we, we talk about that, how, how the Jews wanted a Messiah that would conquer the Romans, kick him out, 
And that's what they were looking for. And that's why the crowd was a little bit confused because Jesus was not indicating anything like that. And so they're like, could this be the one? But the religious leader's like, no, he's not. You know, and so one, because he wasn't that conqueror that they were expecting, but then they also saw him as a threat to their power and the pleasure of their very important positions that they thought they had. You know, they, they, um, they thought that they were everything and they didn't want to lose people to Jesus. And now there's no way Jesus could be the Messiah. And that's that. But here's the thing, no one could deny that something supernatural happened. I mean, everyone was there. They witnessed Jesus do this, this thing. They saw Jesus cast out a demon. And I'm sure many of them, they may have seen Jesus do many other miracles. And so the fact that Jesus was doing the supernatural could not be denied. They were all eyewitnesses to what had happened. But the religious leaders, they didn't want to give any sort of legitimacy to Jesus's ministry. And so they had to come up with a way to spin this to their own advantage. Okay, we, you know, we can't deny something supernatural happened, but we sure aren't going to let Jesus take credit for it. So what, what can we do to kind of cut, pull the rug out from under Jesus and, you know, let, instead of the people being wowed by him, let them be wowed by us and, you know, think that Jesus is a loser or, you know, something like that. What can we do to spin this whole thing to our favor? And so this is the spin that they put on it. The only reason that Jesus was able to cast out demons is because he has the power of the demonic. He has the power of hell there at his disposal. That was their spin. Jesus was a secret agent of the devil. And so the devil helped him do all these supernatural things. Now, mind you, the, the devil can, and, and, and through his people, mimic and imitate supernatural events. You think of when Moses was doing his things, you know, the, um, at first, all the, the wise men, sorcerers, whatever you want to call them, of Egypt, they, they just copied whatever it was that, that, that Moses did. Um, and, and so, I mean, it wasn't unheard of that the devil could do something supernatural. But, you know, they were specifically saying, look, Jesus is, is doing the work of the devil. They, they attributed to the power of Beelzebul. As it says, he'll know Beelzebul was a, a god of the area of Ekron. And that name, Beelzebul, is connected to the name Baal. You know, you're familiar with Baal from uh, the Old Testament. And so the name possibly meant Prince of Baal, but the Jews would often change the name to Beelzebub, which would change the meaning to Lord of the Flies, not the book, but, you know, it was just, it, it was a disparaging name. They were trying to put a disparaging name to it. But eventually, the Jews would use that term as just, an, an, if you want to say, a nickname of Satan. You know, because Satan goes by a lot of names in Scripture. The serpent, the devil, the dragon. You know, so we, ha we have different names for the devil. Well, they had different names for the devil. And Beelzebub, Beelzebul uh, was one of it. So, you know, they use that name to refer to Satan himself. And, uh, you know, because... 
the Jews knew, one of the right things that the Jewish leaders knew is that these false gods, all these pagan gods, they're not gods at all. If anything, they're demons. So they would use the names of false gods to represent the demonic. So here's what it boils down to. The religious leaders attributed Jesus's work and miracles, the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus, they attributed it to Satan. They were accusing Jesus of being an agent of Satan. It was by the power of Satan, not the Holy Spirit, that Jesus was able to cast out demons. Now, they didn't necessarily say that out loud so the crowd heard them because they didn't want to start a riot among the crowd. They, they knew that if they would outright start maybe attacking Jesus, the crowd might turn on them. So they were just kind of whispering to themselves, amongst themselves, you know, in the background, trying to justify themselves. Yeah, man, you know, the only reason Jesus is able to do that because he, he has the power of Satan behind him. He has the power of Beelzebul. You know, they're murmuring among themselves. Well, it says that Jesus knew their thoughts. That demonstrates that he is divine because only God knows the thoughts uh, of other people. Um, yeah, here's a little side note. Satan and the demons don't know your thoughts, but they sure can try put thoughts in your brain. That, that's for sure, but they can't read your thoughts. Only God can, can read your thoughts. So Jesus knew what they were thinking and what they were murmuring, even though he wasn't like within earshot of, of hearing it. And, and so Jesus answers their accusation first by questioning the logic of it all. I mean, that makes no logical sense. It just doesn't make sense. How, why would Satan use his own power against himself? Why would, he, why would he use his own power to destroy the work he's trying to do? You know, it doesn't make sense first because Satan would be working against himself, and if Satan was working against himself, he wouldn't be able to accomplish whatever it is that Satan's trying to accomplish. I mean, why, why, why would Satan send out a demon? I mean, I don't know if that's exactly how it works, but why would, you know, Satan, uh, uh, one of Satan's demons... Um, possess someone and then Satan come and then cast that demon out. The demon's doing the work of whatever Satan wants done. So why would Satan then come and then cast him out? That makes no sense. It'd be like you're digging a hole to get somewhere, but then every time you dig out some dirt, you then grab and take that same dirt and then put it back in, in the hole that you just made. And you're going back and forth. You're not making any progress. If Satan was was fighting against himself he wouldn't be making any progress if satan casts out satan he'd be working against himself so it makes no sense it makes no, their argument made no logical sense second it makes no sense because as jesus said the pharisees have their own people who were supposed exorcists who would be casting out demons and, and so jesus asked them the question okay you're your people by what power do they cast out demons? Is it of God or is it of Satan? So what Jesus is implying, and you know, he's trying to kind of trap their, their thinking or their words there. If, if Jesus was casting out demons by the power of Satan, guess what that means? Your, your people are casting out demons by the power of Satan. But if your people are casting out demons by the power of God, 
And it only makes sense that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of God. Again, doesn't make sense. A third point that Jesus makes is that the only way for someone to be able to cast a demon out is if they are connected to a power that is stronger than the demon that they're casting out. You cannot rob someone's house who is stronger than you. You cannot cast out demons unless you possess a power that is stronger than Satan and the demonic. And yet that's what they were. And so that being the case, I'm doing this by the Holy Spirit here. Guess what? That means the kingdom of God has come upon you. And so that Jesus had to work out that logic, but then this comes to the crux of the problem. If you attributed Jesus' work to Satan, you were against him. You were cast, you're casting abroad. If you attribute what Jesus was doing to the power of the Holy Spirit, you believed in him, and then you were with Jesus. And here is where we come to the issue of the problem of the unforgivable sin. Jesus says any sin can be forgiven. Any blasphemy can be forgiven. Blasphemy, you know, speaking evil of God. Any evil speaking against God actually can be forgiven. He says even a a sin or a blasphemy against the Son can be forgiven. And think about this. Probably the most heinous sin that anyone ever could have done on the face of the earth was to crucify Jesus. That I think would probably, I mean, that right up there with with Judas and his betrayal of, of Jesus. But the most heinous thing anyone on this earth has ever done, and a lot of people have done a whole lot of heinous things, but the most wicked thing anyone on this earth has ever done is to crucify the Lord. And yet, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So even the most heinous sin, what we might call the most heinous sin, could be forgiven. Even those who crucified Jesus could have sought forgiveness. But Jesus says, the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. Speaking against the work of the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. So does that somehow put the Holy Spirit above the Father? Because, I mean, you could blaspheme and, and, and sin against the Father, that'd be forgiven. Does that put the Holy Spirit like, somehow above the Son? Because you could blaspheme and sin against the Son and still be forgiven. I mean, no. What it's talking about is this particular context. The Pharisees were attributing to Satan what was the work of the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ. And so the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is looking at the work of the Spirit in Jesus Christ, but attributing it to Satan. In essence, accusing the Holy Spirit work that's working in Jesus as being demonic, calling the Holy Spirit's work in Jesus as demonic, and your heart is so hard that you actually would think that. Your heart is so hard, you're dead set on that. What the Holy Spirit is doing through Jesus is demonic. Accusing the Holy Spirit of being demonic through Jesus. And so thus, I would say 
that the unforgivable sin is not something that anyone in our day and age can do because we are not witnesses to Jesus' work in ministry. Therefore, we cannot attribute the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus to the work of Satan. As one author says, they committed the unpardonable sin when they called the highest manifestation of holy labor by the most offensive reproach or criticism. They called it the work of Beelzebul. And then another author said, in the face of indisputable evidence that in Jesus, God's spirit was establishing God's kingdom and defeating Satan's, they hardened their hearts to a point of no return. Their hearts were completely closed off to the point of accusing the Holy Spirit of actually being Satan in the works of, of Jesus Christ. So they, they had hard hearts. Now it's not hard heart, the hard heart itself is not the unforgivable sin, but it's the hard heart that attributes this, you know, the hard heart that attributes to the spirit that's working in Christ as the work of Satan. Because, I mean, everyone before Christ has a hard heart in some way, shape, or form. So obviously, God can forgive hard hearts. He can overcome hard hearts. You think of the Apostle Paul. He had a hard heart. He was killing and arresting and imprisoning Christ's people. Even, even he himself admits in 1 Timothy that he was a blasphemer. And yet Paul found forgiveness. So God can turn any hard heart and make it moldable, make it teachable. Anyone can, you know, it can, they can come to believe. Hard hearts can be softened. So it's not just merely about having a hard heart. Let's face it, even us believers sometimes can have hard hearts. And, and, and so that doesn't mean we lose salvation or something when we're kind of having a hard heart moment. Um, so it, it's not just about having a hard heart. You know, some might say that the unforgivable sin is unbelief, but that doesn't become unforgivable in, until you die in your unbelief. Then there's no recourse. You know, your, your eternity is set. Now, unbelief in Christ is sin, but it is a sin that can be overcome. It is a sin that be, can be forgiven by coming to faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in the gospel. I mean, if you die in your unbelief, I mean, yeah, then it's, you're unforgiven, you're unpardoned. You don't have Christ. But as long as you're alive, your unbelief can be forgiven by believing in Jesus, just by coming to Christ. Well, let's face it, everyone's an unbeliever until they come to Christ. So, you and I were all unbelievers until we came to Christ and we believed. So, unbelief can be forgiven. Now, the most heinous crime you can think of on this earth can be forgiven. So, supposedly, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer, the serial killer, he was killed by another inmate in, in prison, but supposedly... And I have no corroboration of this, but supposedly he gave his life to Christ. Supposedly uh, he believed in Jesus. Supposedly it was real. So I don't know. But here's the thing. If Jeffrey Dahmer truly believed in Jesus, if Jeffrey Dahmer truly gave his life to Christ, even he found forgiveness. That's shocking to some people. 
But you know what? He sinned his way. We sin our way. Hey, any, any forgiveness that we get from Christ is just a wonderful work of grace. So it, it could happen, you know. But the religious leaders here in this day and age, they were so against Jesus. I mean, it wasn't just that they didn't believe. They were against Jesus. They were so against Jesus that they said that the work of the Holy Spirit in Jesus, that's actually the agency of Satan. They could not be forgiven because they were too far gone. Calling the work of the Holy Spirit in Christ as the work of Satan. So I don't want any genuine believer in Jesus Christ to fret over whether or not they committed the unpardonable sin. You didn't. Your faith in Jesus Christ right now is proof, you know, of that. Plus, I believe that it's something that couldn't be done in this day and age anyway. If you're in Jesus, you are completely forgiven. And there is nothing that you can say or do that changes that. You are forgiven in Christ. But, you know, thinking about this passage, this should give some people pause to consider if they really have believed in Jesus or not. I mean, while you still have breath on this earth, you can believe in Jesus. You can believe that he died for you, that he rose again. While you're still on this earth, you can receive forgiveness. But after you leave this earth, if you are not in Christ, the there is no room for forgiveness. And you're eternally cursed. You're condemned. It's too late. You know, I was, saw some books in, this, in a New Testament translation from some author. I can't even think of his name right now. He, he's a kind of sort of Greek Orthodox Anglican kind of guy. But he wrote a book, and he doesn't even, suppose, I haven't read the book, but I read reviews of the book. He doesn't even give scripture to back this up, but he just says, oh, everyone goes to heaven. He's a universalist. Everyone goes to heaven. He doesn't give any biblical arguments. He just disparages his opponents. And my question is, what do you do with the words of Christ himself who said, who talked about Hell, the fire that never ends, the worm that never dies, the gnashing of teeth. So what you're saying is Jesus is a liar? The only unforgivable sin right now is dying without Christ. And there is no remedy for that. So that's why you come to Christ now and believe in him. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Harvest Baptist Church. For more information, visit us online at harvest-baptist.org or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can also find info on our children's ministry on Facebook at Harvest Baptist Children's Ministry or on Instagram at kidsquest underscore HBC. Our student ministries on Facebook at HBC Vertical Student Ministry and on Instagram at VSM underscore HBC. We welcome you to join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are located at 8999 Waltrana Highway in Harvest, Alabama. Thanks for listening. 
and God bless.